Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we had a great time in the Adirondacks every year. Our family, we kind of have a family reunion. We go up to the Adirondacks for a week, and um, basically, I just fish. So I wake up at 6 in the morning, and I fish, and I fish, and I fish a little more. And this year was great because I beat Wesley, my son. I caught more fish. I caught bigger fish, and I let him know it every day. I would take the picture out and say, Russ, you remember, I beat you this year. Because he's won like the last two years, caught more fish, he's caught bigger fish. And of course, he doesn't let me, he, he, he always lets me know that. So um, I won the fishing derby this year against my 16-year-old son, which when you're uh, 49, that's all you have. That's all you got. That's all you got left. That's all I got. So we had a great week and uh, uh, glad to see everybody here this morning. As you know, we're, we're uh, taking a summer series and we're looking at who God is and his character. And today we're going to look at a, a character of God that hopefully I, I, my prayer is that it will encourage you today. And I just want to just give you a couple statements right off the bat. And I want to tell you that God is always true to his promises. He is always true to his promises. And, and that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the promises of God and how God makes promises to you and I that he keeps on his end, that he keeps faithful to, even when you and I are unfaithful. Good spot for an amen right there. And so that's what we're going to kind of look at today. And let me just jump, if you've you got your notes there in your bulletin, if you're taking notes, let me just jump right into this first statement for you today and, and, and kind of lay a foundation for what we're going to be talking about. That first statement there says, God gives us his promises to assure us that he is ultimately in control even when my life or this world may seem out of control. God gives us his promises to assure us that even that he's ultimately in control, even when my life seems out of control and things don't seem like they're going well, God gives us these promises to assure us that he is in control. And he wants us to cling on to his promises. He wants us to know that he is faithful. So what I want to do is I want to look at a passage here what God gives to Moses is Moses is getting ready to lead the children out of Egypt after 400 plus years of bondage to Egypt. And what God does is he establishes relationship with Moses, obviously through the burning bush and tells him, I am, I'm going to be with you. But what God does for Moses is he gives him some promises to say that he is the one that's going to deliver them. It's not going to be by their, their mighty hands. It's not going to be uh, by their strength. It's going to be by God's going to do this. Now, Israel's going to have to lead all these children of Israel, the Hebrew children, out of, uh, out of Egypt. They're going to have to trust this word. They're going to have to trust God. And I want to show you right here. Let's just jump right in the pasture. Exodus 6, verses 1 through 9. And listen to what the Lord says to Moses. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh, because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God's, God also told Moses, I am the Lord. He's reminding him, listen, I've been faithful for year after year after year. He says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. The word there is El Shaddai. 
I'm El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. I've, been, I've appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself truly known to them. I also established my covenant with them in the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving. And I have remembered my covenant. Now this is a long time. 400 years. But God didn't forget. God is faithful. God's time is not like our time. We want things done yesterday. Right? We want things done in an instant. God said, I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten my covenant. There's his promise. He says, therefore, Moses, this is what I want you to say to the Israelites. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And with mighty acts of judgment, I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. There's a personal relationship that God desires to have with them. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hands to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give to you as its possession. I am the Lord. So God is establishing this promise with them that I'm not going to break this. I've made a covenant with myself that, that I'm going to see this through you're going to come out of this bondage and I'm going to bring you into possession of this promised land that I promised you for my people. Now, how many of you had someone that broke a promise to you? They said they're going to do something and then they didn't do it. That's not fun, is it? It's not fun when someone promises to do something. All of us have either made promises or, you know, that we, that we didn't keep it at some time or someone didn't make a promise um, to us. We, we've, all, we've all been there. How many of you, you you're, you're up late at night and you see this infomercial and these infomercials make all these promises that all your dreams will come true. All your dreams will be fulfilled for 1995. How many know, right? Everything will be fulfilled for 1995. And if you act now, there's more right there there's there's more there's these promises that you make i remember as a kid um i used to love bazooka bubblegum i don't even know if they still sell it anymore but bazooka bubblegum i remember bazooka bubblegum how many remember when you opened the bazooka bubblegum they had a comic in there of bazooka joe and he was always getting in trouble now within those how many are old like me that actually remembered that okay do they still sell that or is do they okay is there still Bazooka Joe where you can open up the comics? And Okay, good. Okay. Well, that's the last time I had gum was like 30 years ago. Okay, so you, you open it up. But within that, they used to give like these advertisements too. Like if, if you buy this thing for $3, it will make you a muscle man, right? And, and they made all these promises. So I remember my friend growing up actually ordered the thing. And it, what you would do is you would strap this thing around your arms and you were supposed to be this big muscle man. And it was just nothing. It was it, the promise didn't come true. And, and so it was so funny when you see this little advertisement, this thing that you could buy, you thought he was going to be some muscle man. You know, and then in the fine print, it says you actually have to work out if you're going to look like this man in the bubblegum thing. Anyways, um, promises are made to us all the time that are never, ever fulfilled. We um, were on vacation there's this place we like to go play um, miniature golf, and it's called the Nutty Putty, and it's in Old Forge. And this place has been around forever, and they promise that you're going to have a fun time. 
They said, you are going to have a fun time here. And uh, so I didn't have a fun time. And here's the reason why I did. They were promising me that I had a fun time. My wife beat me in miniature golf. That, no, that's not good. That's because, remember, I don't have much at 49, right? And she, you know, she beat me. I go, this isn't fun. I so I went back after we got done through. And I go, I want my money back because I didn't have fun. Can I get a refund? So the guy took the club and beat me over the head with it and said, hit the road, Jake, right? We, we, we expect things. When things are promises, we expect it to come true. And here's the thing that, that is different about God. The thing that's different about God is God is always true to his promises. So what, what, what God does here with Moses is he said that he would be faithful to deliver. So what God does is he goes back to the covenant that he made with Israel's forefathers. God hadn't forgotten his promise, even though maybe the people of Israel thought, man, our God has forgotten us. I mean, we're, we're here and we're, we're enslaved and, and he's forgotten us. But God hadn't forgotten them. And he would bring them into the promised land. But, but here's, here's the problem. Moses is going to trust God, but the rest of Israel at this point was not on board. They didn't listen to Moses at first. And so Moses, what he would have to do is, as God's representative, he would have to go before Pharaoh, the most powerful nation at the time on earth, and he would tell them, this is what God is going to do to you. And so Moses had to act in faith. At this point, uh, he didn't have the backing of his people. Sometimes your decisions to follow God will not be popular. And making a stand for what is right is not always popular. And so what God does is he sends 10 plagues to judge Egypt. And the people of Egypt would eventually obey Moses' command and they follow God's instruction. But what God does is he sends these plagues and it's something which like no one has ever seen before. Catastrophic, water into blood, frogs everywhere, gnats, flies, Hail, locusts, boils, the, the firstborn son, uh, the firstborn sons and animals were, were, were to die. And the, and, and the people of God would see the power of God right before their very eyes. And here, at, 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 right before the children are released to go into the wilderness, God institutes the Passover where they would apply the blood of a sacrificial lamb over the doorposts of their home. And then the death angel that went through to kill the firstborn would fly over or pass over those that applied the blood to the doorpost of their home and the blood protected them, being a foreshadow of what Christ, the Lamb of God, did for us. And so now... They're free, finally, Pharaoh says, you can go. They're, they're free to leave. And so they pack up. They head out into the desert. They're going to the promised land that God promised his people to establish them, to be their God. And everything now would be easy peasy, no problems, right? You would think that, right? You would think everything is easy now. Everything is, is easy street. They've seen the power of God right before them and all these miracles and all these things that they would just be on board. But at this point, they're in a quandary because now as they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind and the Red Sea's in front of them and Pharaoh's army is behind them. 
And so now there's this great fear that begins to take their hearts and to grip them. And they call out and they cry out and they say, what do, what, what do we do? I mean, th- th- you know, you would think, okay, they're going to cry out to God and they're going to believe in his promises and know that God is that covenant keeping God. And that's exactly what they did, right? No, they didn't. They didn't do that. They began to complain and they began to lose faith and they complained to Moses. They actually taunted him and they, they actually said to him, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Did you bring us out here to die? Your mama wears combat boots. I mean, they were just hassling and ridiculing Moses in this. They completely lost faith. So they completely threw Moses under the bus. But here's the interesting thing. You see, our true character doesn't come to light when things are going well. Our true character comes to light when we're under pressure. So God allows this to happen, and they're there, and now they're wondering, okay, what is going on here? Am I truly trusting the Lord? Our true character does not come to light when things are going well. Our true character comes to light when we are under pressure. And so now they're saying it's better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And how quickly they forgot that they were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. So Moses says, good, you can all die in the wilderness. You deserve it. No, that's not what Moses does. I want you to see what Moses does here. What Moses does is he reminds them again of God's promises. Listen, how quickly we forget God's promises when we're going through a trial. Now, we can look back in a month and say, man, God brought me through this great thing and we're, we're, woo, praise God, hallelujah, and we're just doing wonderful, right? And then all of a sudden, something else comes up and all of a sudden, fear grips our heart again. And we, and we lose sight of God's faithfulness and God, how he can deliver. And so what Moses does is he reminds them again of God's promises. Exodus 14, 13, 14 says this, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you And you only have to be silent. Shut your traps. Be quiet. Stand still and watch how God delivers. And so what did God say to Moses back in Exodus 6 2? Well, God reminded Moses, and this is the reason why Moses could have this confidence, because God said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I am that God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. I'm the one that's going to deliver. You've got to trust me. Don't, don't, don't trust in chariots. Don't trust in the Egyptian army. Don't trust in this big sea that's before you. You trust in me. And so what happened? Well, what happened here to the Israelites is that fear gripped their hearts. Fear gripped the hearts of the people of God. And, and, and what we know is that fear is the opposite of faith. And there's two types of fear. There's, there's the fear of the Lord that the word of God talks about. And then there's the fear when we lose trust. 
We allow our circumstance to overwhelm us and our circumstances can dictate our emotions. To have the fear of the Lord is to have an awe of God, to understand that he is the one that we need to please and to honor. Proverbs 14, 27 says, fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life that the one may turn away from the snares of death. So what did Israel forget? Well, they forgot that it was God that got them there in the first place. That it was God, he was the one that delivered them. So what Israel, what happened to Israel is they allowed fear to take control. The reason why Moses reminds them again of the promises of God and the faithfulness of God is that God wanted his promises to be the bedrock for them and that God wanted his promises to become real to them. The promises of God become very real to us and very tangible to us when we go through a trial. Because then we can truly put it to the test. It becomes real. It becomes authentic to us. Like, God, am I really going to trust you through this trial in my life? Or am I going to allow fear to grip my heart? Am I going to allow the clatter of the world and the worries of the world to grip my heart? Or am I going to rely on El Shaddai? Am I going to rely on God Almighty? He's the same God of, of Abraham. He's the same God of Isaac and Jacob and Moses. He's that same God that can deliver you and I today. But it's so easy for you and I, just like the Israelites, to allow fear to grip our hearts. So what fear does is, here's the negative side of fear. I mean, how many know there's some good fear? I, I want my kids to have a little, I want my 18-year-old son to have a little fear when he gets in a car to drive. I want him to have a little respect. I want him to know that you can get hurt if you get crazy in the car. Right? I want them to have a little fear. I want them to have a, a, little, a, a little fear, a little respect in, in, in their heart not to do something crazy. Right? That, that, that's okay. But this type of fear, what it did was for them is it, it, it made them doubt and what happens to fear many times when we allow fear of a, circum, uh, a circumstance to grip our heart, what it makes us do, it makes us doubt. We doubt God's love. We doubt that he's in control. We doubt his promises. All that goes out the window when fear comes into our lives. And so what God does is he reminds Moses, listen, I made a covenant with your forefathers and I will honor that. You can trust me. They trusted me. I was faithful. You can trust me. I will be faithful. So what Moses does is he reminds Israel that God would deliver them. Just wait. Be still. Stop talking. Close your mouth. God will fight for you. You don't have to do a thing. Don't do anything. Just wait on me. And so what God does is, is he separates the Red Sea and they all walk through the other side. Not so good for the Egyptian army because they find themselves under the water of the Red Sea. God closed up uh, the, the water and they drowned. And something interesting happened after this incident. Exodus 14.31 records it for us. It says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord. Now, all of a sudden, they fear the right type of fear. 
the fear and respect of the Lord instead of fearing the circumstance and the situation they were in. They feared the Lord, and this is what happened next. They believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, what's interesting about this word believe, this is very important, it says that they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. And so what does this mean? Well, the word believe there in the Hebrew language is the word amen. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means amen. So they believed in the Lord. It means to trust or to be reliable. They believed. So when you see in the New Testament, when you see Jesus say, truly, truly, I say unto you, or verily, verily, I say unto you, what Jesus literally is saying is, amen and amen. What I'm about to say to you is true. It is truth. You can trust it and you can believe. The same word for believe in the Old Testament, they said amen to God. We believe you, God. You're, you're trustworthy. We're putting our faith in you. And so what Jesus says is he says, what I'm about to say, truly, truly, verily, verily, amen, amen. What's going to come out of my mouth is going to be true, reliable. You can trust it. Now, we as God's people, when we hear truth of God's word, at the end of it, we say, Amen, right? Because we're agreeing with what it's saying. But Jesus, what comes out of my mouth is true because I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So you can trust what I'm about to say. So when they believed in God, they literally said, amen. We believe you. We're going to put our trust in you. So when we say amen to God's word, we're saying that it's true and that it's truth. Now, we have a saying in the church that we will say something like, are you a believer? Are you a believer? And basically what we're saying is, have you put your full trust in Christ for your salvation? Are you a believer? Do you believe that Christ did this for you? Do you believe he died on the cross for you, that he took our sins upon himself? That Do you believe that Christ uh, conquered death through the cross and through the grave and is resurrected and is at the right hand of the Father? Do you believe that? Are you a believer in that? And that's what saves us. That's what gives us the gift of eternal life. It's all done through God's grace. So in order for us to believe, we have to put our full weight on it. We have to believe this. Now, now we have to believe in something that we may not see, but we're putting our trust in it irregardless now, how can we do that? How do you put your trust in something that you haven't seen? See, the, the Israelites saw what the Lord did and then they believed. Wouldn't it be so much easier just for God to call us up and say, okay, I'm real. Jesus did. He was risen from the grave. Okay, Bard, just believe in me. I've got heavens prepared for you. Could you at least, you know, text me or something? You know, just give me this sign. Could you do something? Wouldn't that be so much easier? But why doesn't God do that? Because he knows that we are, listen, that we are just like the Israelites. Listen, we can see something with our very eyes. And because of the hardness of our hearts, we can stop believing in a moment. 
Having faith in something that you don't see and putting your full weight on it has so much more value than something that you would ever see. And see, the the thing we can take from the Israelites here, we were just like them. They saw all this stuff. And you know what? Uh, After they believed and they saw this, were they perfect in the wilderness? (laughs) No, they weren't. Their hearts continued to become hardened and hardened. That's why they wandered around for 40 years, because they walked in rebellion to the Lord. Look at what they saw. How many of you would say, if only um, this great celebrity would get saved? And come to know Jesus. If only this great sports figure would come to know Jesus, so many more people would come to know Jesus because of their testimony. Maybe, maybe not. Who does the saving? Who gives you the faith to believe? It's the Lord. It's God. He's the one that gives you all those things. He's the one that, that opens the blinded eyes. He's the one that changes our hearts. It's God that does it. And we can see all these mighty, great acts of God. And you know what? Our hearts can still be hard. How can, listen to me, how can someone look up at the stars at night and look at the billions of galaxies and say that it all happened by chance? How can, to me, that takes more faith to believe that it it happened by chance than to actually believe there's a God that created all of this. See, that's how hardened our hearts are. Romans chapter one said that because of the hardness of our heart and the sinfulness of our own hearts, we exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That we began to worship the created things and not the creator himself. That's the hardness of our hearts. So what God does is he gives you and I his promises to put our faith in him and him alone. So what Moses does is he puts his full trust in God for the salvation against Egypt. And let let me reiterate again, Exodus 14, 13, 14 says, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, for he will work for you today. He's going to do it. He's going to get the glory. He'll do it for you. Now, here's the problem when we read um, the Bible many times. We try to put ourselves, oh, I'm going to be like Moses. Moses had a lot of faith. And what this ends up being is a lot of moralism in the Bible. Like, um, I've got to try to be better and better. So if I'm just like Moses and I trust Moses like, uh, like he did, then, then God will deliver me. How many know that Moses blew it? Moses blew it in the desert. Moses wanted to wipe everybody dead. Moses struck the rock and disobeyed God, so he wasn't even allowed to go into the promised land. I don't want to be like Moses. Right? See, what we do is we read into the Bible and say, well, I want to be like Moses. And if I just had faith like Moses, no, you don't want to be like him because he blew it. See, what God wants us to do is to trust him and his promises because he's faithful. Now, now let, me, let me put a bow on this whole thing. Let, let me wrap this whole thing up and, and, and put a bow on it for you. I, I love this story and because what we have to do is we have to see Christ as the fulfillment of all God's promises. That it's Christ 
that gives us the faith. It's Christ that gives us the hope. It gives Christ the one. Christ is the one that helps us to get through the ups and downs of our lives. He's the anchor that we must attach ourselves to. He's the bedrock that we must stand upon. We can't stand upon our faith and our strength because how many know that wavers up and down to and fro? We've got to stand upon something more solid than just our own strength. I love this in um, uh, John chapter 11. And John chapter 11 um, shares the story of Jesus coming to Lazarus' death. And he waits. One day, two days, three days, he waits. And, and, and Lazarus is dead. He is, he is dead. He's dead. And so Mary and Martha, they're all panicking. Jesus, if you only would have been here, if you only would have come, if you would have just been here a little bit earlier, you could have saved him. And so they're all, you know, they're, they're like, you know, Jesus wasn't that far away. He could have made it, but Jesus waits. And like, why, why? And Jesus comes and he weeps and he's crying. He, he weeps because he sees the hardness and what death does to people's hearts. And so he, he's, 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 it's not like he's not touched by this situation, but Jesus wanted to show them something much deeper. And it's interesting that what Martha does is when she hears Christ coming, she runs out to meet him. She runs out to greet him. And I, I, I want to read that for you, the account of what happens when Martha meets Jesus. And this is before he raises Lazarus from the dead. Um, he has this very interesting conversation with Martha. And let me read for you in John 11. And let me start off in verse 26. It says, Jesus said to her, well, actually, let, let, me, let me go back. Let me go back here. Here, I want to show you how Jesus comforts her. And uh, it says, on the arrival, verse 17, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha, uh, Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Verse 21 said, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. What Jesus is saying, he's going to rise both now and he will rise again later. But Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do, do you believe this? Now, now, this is before he raises Lazarus from the dead. And then she, she, she says this in verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God who has come into the world. So the question Jesus poses to her before he raises her brother from the dead is, Martha, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Um, I'm going to die for Lazarus so that he can actually live forever. Because even though he rose Lazarus from the dead, how many know he died later? But Jesus was showing that he had power over 
the grave. And so we asked Martha, do you believe this? Now, I want you to notice in this conversation, Jesus never said that he was actually going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He, he actually, when he's talking to her, he says, he gives some kind of futuristic thing. She goes, well, I know later he's going to rise in the resurrection. Jesus never promised. He said, do, but do you believe that I'm the resurrection? See, he turned the situation around from the situation of Lazarus and his death to, do you believe in me? Because that's the most important thing. See, what happens is, if he would have turned the conversation around and says, yes, I'm going to raise Lazarus. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. See, what would happen if that was the case is that Martha would have put her trust more in the healing than in Jesus. See, let me, get, let me get you to think this way. I think so many times we're putting our trust in a circumstance and how things have to change for my good and we're not really putting our trust in Christ and his promises that he's going to be faithful irregardless of whatever happens. See, he wanted her to trust him. Jesus asked her, do you believe in me? Jesus didn't want Martha putting her trust in the healing. He wanted her to put his trust in him. Don't lose faith. Put your trust in me. And she put her confession of faith in Christ. He's the anchor. He's the one that's going to fight for you. He's the one that's going to see you through. He's the one that's going to see you through difficult circumstances, whether good or bad. And that's where we can rely on the promises of God because Jesus is who he says he is and he fulfills all those things for us. Put your trust in him. So no matter what you go through, you've got that solid foundation that God is true. That Jesus says, even in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. That's where you're going to have your peace. You've got to put it in me. Irregardless of how this situation turns out, ultimately, I'm the resurrection and the life. Ultimately, I'm the one that saves you. Ultimately, I'm the one that's going to give you hope. Put your hope in me. And no matter what you may go through, I'm going to be with you, even to the ends of the earth. That's our hope. That's all we have. And that's all we need. It was interesting this morning when I was studying. I was sitting in our sunroom. I just looked out the window, and uh, I got a picture of this. I don't know some of you may have caught it this morning, and this is what I saw. I'm like, what? This morning, double rainbow. So I went outside in my pajamas, 6.15 in the morning. Neighbors were calling the police. Crazy guy in his pajamas out in the street. See, what God said to Noah... He said, here's my promise, John. I'm going to make a covenant with you that I will never flood the earth again. And every time you see a rainbow, it's a reminder that my covenant is true. See, what the rainbow is, it's a reminder of God's grace. That God saved Noah and his family through the flood, through the ark. That they came through God's judgment. That was his 
promise. Now, here's the thing. Here's the deal. Don't be like, please don't be like Noah. Right? Because after he shows him this rainbow, and after he, he shows him, I'm going to promise this to you, I brought you through, and Noah makes it through this huge flood and his family. What does Noah do? He, he, he builds a vineyard and he gets drunk off his own grapes. So don't be like Noah. He got bombed after this. That's not good. No, not a good example, right? Let's turn to God. The promise is that God says, I am the God over all this. I'm the one that's going to deliver you. And I've given you my son to deliver you through this whole thing. So let's put our hope and our faith and our weight and all our, all our weight on the promises of God and not on our circumstances. God is faithful. And there may be some of you here today and, and you've kind of lost hope a little bit because of your circumstances or all the bad decisions that you've made in your life. I want you to know this morning that God's promises to you are not based on your performance. Thank God for that. God's promises to you are not based on all the mistakes you've made in your past. Did, did Noah make a mistake? Did Moses make a mistake? Did Israel make a mistake? Thank God. I, I want you, every time you see a rainbow in the sky, I want you to be reminded of God's grace. That God is a God full of grace and his promise is that whoever comes to him, I will no wise cast out. I will receive you. I will redeem you. I will restore you. I will make things all brand new. Stop trying to live your Christian life through a bunch of rules and moralism. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It works for a while and you'll feel good about yourself until you'll see somebody else doing it a lot better than you. And then you feel bad about yourself and I can't come to church because I'm no good and I'm not, I can't do this thing. Stop doing that. It doesn't work. Jesus does it for you. God said to Israel, stop, wait, be silent, and watch how I deliver. And watch how I deliver. Put your full weight in Christ. He's done it all for you. He's fulfilled all the promises of God for you. You don't have to do it. Stop trying to live your life through a bunch of rules and moralism. It just doesn't work. So for those of you that just lost hope or your past is haunting you or you feel like you've made so many bad mistakes, here's the promise of God. God is patient with you, 2 Peter 3 says. Not willing or wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. That is God's will. He is patient with you. Why was God patient with Israel? Why was God patient with Moses? Why didn't he just wipe them right off? Because he's faithful to his promises, not because of their bad acts. God. How many of us should be dead already with lightning strike from God because of all our bad decisions? God is faithful to his promise to never leave you or forsake you. So put your full weight on God's grace and let his grace change you today and walk in that freedom today. Amen.